a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. New short series to take us through the next few weeks uh, and over the summer period. And we're going to be looking at the book of 2 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles with you, as I'm trusting many of you will have, if you'd like to find, please, the book of 2 Peter. One of the jobs that I think I have as a pastor is to teach this book uh, to us as a church and to help us understand what we read and apply it to our lives. And I think one of the best ways, not the only way, but one of the best ways of doing that is to take a book and preach systematically through it. See, by doing that, you, you can't avoid as a preacher then subjects that you don't like. You can't just take your favourite things and just preach on that, but rather you, you have to take what's in the passage and uh, try and teach it as best and faithfully as you can. So I think preaching through uh, a book of the Bible is a good way to do that. And uh, that's one of the reasons we'll be preaching through this book over the next few weeks. We've looked at the letter of 1 Peter before. I thought it'd be good to look at 2 Peter as well. And uh, that's what we're going to do now over the next few weeks. Unsurprisingly, uh, this is a letter and it's written by the Apostle Peter. Uh, the clue is in the title, in case you were, you were wondering there. And uh, obviously, as you guessed, it's his second letter. See, it's profound so far, isn't it? You're, you're impressed. It's good, isn't it? It's taken me all week to come up with this. No. We've got a letter here written by Peter, the apostle. And uh, it's written probably towards the end of his life. We, we see in verse 14 of, of chapter 1, Peter says, Because I know that I will soon put it aside, talking of his body. And uh, he realises that his life on earth is coming to an end quite soon. Most commentators reckon that this letter was written while Peter was in prison, probably in Rome. And so here we have, probably in prison, towards the end of his life, Peter is now writing to a number of churches that he knows and, uh, and cares for and deeply loves and wants to give them some instruction. He knows that his life on this earth is coming to an end and he, he wants to ensure that the churches that he's writing to continue well after his death. And so he's writing some instruction to them. The ESV Study Bible says this is the theme of 2 Peter. It says, Second Peter teaches that the grace of God in Christ truly transforms and empowers Christians to live righteously, even in the face of of opposition. Well, that's relevant for us, isn't it? Do you want to know how to live righteously? Any of you? Yes. I, I, I'm assuming but uh, by my comment earlier about having response when I asked the question, you feel free to answer. You know, I'm presuming that many of us would want to live righteously. Yes, yes excellent. And so by looking at this letter, uh, Peter is teaching us, and not just the churches that he was writing to then, but also us as well. And in the letter, Peter addresses false teachers that have come into the church or into some of the churches that he's writing to here. 
And Paul also warns against this in Acts 20 as well. And I think this is relevant for us as well. See, Peter is saying that in some of the churches, there have been people that have arrived in the church and taught false doctrine. And you might say, well, Graham, why is that relevant for us? You might look around and you think, well, I can't see anybody's doing that here. Well, for us, I think it is relevant because there will be people that will come in and may say something where they think, I'm not sure about that. I wonder if that really does line up to Scripture. And uh, we need to go back and check it out. But for us in, in our day and age, I think the danger isn't just people that might be part of the church or might come in, but rather I think the danger for us is on satellite television and on the internet. Because we could go home and switch on a satellite TV channel, uh, a television receiver, and find many so-called Christian channels. And they'll be teaching all sorts of things much of which we would agree with, I'm sure, some of which we'd say, actually, I don't think it's in here. Actually, I think you've taken a doctrine to an extreme, and it's unhelpful. You could go home and turn on your computer, and you could find all sorts of apparently Christian teachings that are far from what's in this book. And they might uh, perpetrate to be solid, and sound, and Christian. But actually, once you look at what it says here in God's words, you'll find it doesn't line up at all. And so there is a danger for us. We need to be wise. We need to recognize and sense when we hear something that isn't correct, when we hear something that is incorrect doctrine. And um, it, it might be that you think, well, you might not be able to put your finger on exactly why, but you might just say, it, doesn't, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't match up with what I've heard taught of the Bible before. It doesn't match up with what I've read in Scripture. And Peter is warning his readers to be alert. And we need to be alert as well as Christians in this day and age, not just the people in the church, but also what we might see on television or we might read on the internet. Peter wants his readers then and now to be certain of the genuine article of the gospel. He wants to be, his readers to be certain about what it is to be a Christian and, and what, what it is to, for, for that to happen. Not to have some sort of cheap fake of the gospel, if you like. Um, we went on holiday a couple of years ago to Greece and uh, had a wonderful time. And I remember one day we decided to take a trip out and uh, we took a, a, a bus or a coach ride into a, into a local village. And uh, in the village there, we went with some friends that we'd, uh, we'd made on holiday. And we went with them and their family. And we found a, found a store that was selling all sorts of belts. And I thought, this is great. I, I need a new belt. I'll I go and buy a new belt. And this is the belt I bought here. And I found it and it said, hey, it's got Dolce and Gabbana on it. I said to Sarah, hey, I can get a D&G belt. I love one of those. And, and I looked at it, and you know the price? I think it was something like four euros, maybe five euros. I said, wow, I can get a D&G belt for five euros. And then the thought crossed my mind. Maybe, just maybe, it's not genuine. Maybe, just possibly, it's a fake. I still bought it because I needed a belt. Um, 
but it isn't the real thing. It's not the real deal. It might say D and G on there, but you and I know it's not the real deal. It's not the real thing. It's a fake. And Peter wants us to be able to recognise what the real deal is in the gospel. And we do that by understanding well what the gospel really is. You know how bank tellers are taught to spot uh, false notes? It's by handling lots of genuine currency. And by doing that and handling lots of genuine notes, they then get to spot uh, what isn't the real thing, what's, what's a fake. And what we need to do, we need to get a handle of this book and learn to handle it well and understand what it says to us so that we can spot incorrect teaching and, and doctrine so we understand the true message of the gospel and what God has for us from this book. As well as that, 2 Peter also reminds us of the return of Jesus. We're to be living in the light of, as he puts, the day of the Lord because Jesus will come again. Jesus died, has risen, and is coming back. He really is. And we need to live in light of that day. And so what I want to look at this morning as we start our journey through this letter, uh, I'll look at um, a couple of things uh, in a moment. But what I want to get into, my title for this morning is this, How to Be an Unproductive Christian. How to Be an Unproductive Christian. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would teach us from your word. I pray, O oh God, it would come alive to us. Holy Spirit, help us to understand what we read. And I pray you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's read a few verses together. Uh, if you've got your Bible open, we're starting at uh, chapter 1 of 2 Peter. We'll read the first uh, 11 verses together. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So Peter starts off here making 
clear it's a letter from him. He's a servant of Jesus. He's also an apostle. This letter comes with some authority and we need to receive it as such, as did his early readers and those who received it first in their churches. It wouldn't have been in their Bible at that point. It wouldn't have been collated together. And it probably would have been read aloud as the church gathered. So Peter's making sure that they understand this comes with some weight. It comes with some authority. And he's writing to them, not only as a servant of Jesus, but as an apostle of him. And he's writing to uh, those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Friends, that includes us this morning as well. And so Peter starts off then. He says, you've got the power. It's my first heading. You've got the power. We're going to look at, you've got the power, you've got the promises, and you've got the plan before we find out how to be an unproductive Christian, which I'm sure you're keen to find out. We'll get there in a few moments. You've got the power. Peter starts off here in verse 3. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life and for godliness, for, for following Jesus, comes from him. You don't need anything else. 2 Peter may have been written to combat Gnosticism. And that was where people said, hey, you know what? We've got some secret knowledge that you, you haven't got, but hey, we've got it over here. And there'd be others who said, hey, we've got, some, we've got some extra special secret knowledge over here, and you, you need that. And that was called Gnosticism. And, and this letter may have been written to combat that. And it's just as prevalent today. People say, hey, you might have your Bible, but you, know, you need to know this as well. Or, or you need to, need to do, it, do it like this. Or hey, you need this extra special revelation that just this special, supposedly few group of people have got. But Peter makes it clear. He says, his divine power has given us everything. Everything we need for life and for godliness comes from him. I, I wondered as I was preparing this, maybe we should rename our Bible... Everything you need for life and godliness. Maybe if we rename it like that, produce it in paperback and stick it in the bookshops, maybe the sales would increase. I mean, it's a pretty high-selling book already. <laughs> but that's what Peter's saying. Listen, everything you need, his divine power has given that to us. And actually, God has given us his son. That's who we need for life and Godliness, it's found in, in him, in Jesus. You, so you don't need the latest Christian book. Now, it may be helpful. I'm a great fan of reading good Christian books. I'd encourage you to do that. But you, you, you don't need that to get through as a Christian. You don't need to go to a special place or a special person. Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us, actually, his son. And it's not just in knowing about him, but it's actually in knowing him. Do you know him? Do you know him? It's actually in knowing him. And he goes on. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's not miss that. 
he has called you by his own glory and goodness. He called you. He called you. This was his idea. You following Jesus, you living as a Christian, wasn't your initiative. It was his. He called you. That's the Bible says. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us, another way of putting it, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose you. He called you. It's his initiative. And you know why that's so important that we understand that? It's because your salvation is about God's choice. It's not about how well you've done this week or how badly you've done this week. It's about God's choosing and his calling. It's his initiative. That's why we can run in to worship. We don't need to warm ourselves up, as it were, when we gather together. (laughs) We should come just ready to worship Jesus. Because it's not about your performance, how you've done this week, whether you've spent lots of time with him, or whether your Bible has remained on the shelf since last Sunday. It's about his calling, his choice. Peter wants us to understand it. He has called us by his own glory and goodness. You've got the power, all you need for life and godliness. And as well as the power, you've got the promises. In verse 4 here, Peter says, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. And through these promises, you begin to share or partake in, participate in perhaps, God's divine nature. It doesn't mean that you become divine. Let's be clear about it. What it does mean, though, is that you begin to become more like him. More like his characteristics. Who wants to become more like Jesus? Our hands should be flying up on that one. Because we've got these promises here. We can become more like him. What are his promises? Well, you could almost open any page of the Bible and find God's promises to you. God's promise is that he has chosen you. He has called you. His promise is that he loves you. His promise is that he sent his son to die for you. His promise is he is your provider. He is your Father. His promises, He sent His Holy Spirit to you. His promises, He's empowering you to live for Him. His promises that He will come again. And so He could go on. This book is full of His promises. And you've got them. You've got them. I've got a friend who used to write promises of God on bits of paper and stick them on our fridge. <laughs> Maybe you've done that. It's not a bad thing to do, actually. Let's remind ourselves of these promises. We've got power. We've got promises here. And Peter says too, you've got the plan. You've got the plan. You know, to achieve anything, you need a plan, don't you? If you're going to build a building, maybe it might just be an extension to your house. You're going to need a plan. You can't just say, well, I'll tell you what, we're we're going to build an extension on the side of our house and we're going to get an extra room downstairs and a bedroom and a bathroom upstairs. Uh, Hello, Mr. Builder, can you come and build it for me? And he just sort of turns up with a bunch of bricks and starts laying them. It doesn't happen like that, does it? You you need a plan. 
You need to know how it's going to go together. You need to know what you can fit in the space. You need to know, is it going to go here or is the, is the wall going to end here or there? Or have we got room to get that sink in that way around? Does it need to go the other way? How's it going to go? You need a plan. And you know what? For your life, you need a plan. To grow as a Christian, you need a plan. What's your plan? What's your plan to, to grow as a Christian? What's your plan to become more like Jesus? What's your plan? Well, Peter says here, this is a good plan. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good plan, isn't it? That's a good plan. It's not that adding these things will make you more of a Christian. It's rather about growing in him. It's about becoming more like Jesus. So Peter's saying, add these things. It's not about some secret knowledge that you need to add special things to your faith. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let your character be like this. Might be another way of putting it. So he said, add these things to your faith. So faith then is the starting point. Let's be very clear. Faith is the starting point. Without faith, the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it starts with faith. And the list that's coming, without faith, is meaningless. They're just a list of niceties. But without, with faith, there's some power here. So faith is essential. It's the one ingredient you have to have to start with. So once you've got faith, Peter says, add to this. To your faith, add goodness. Generally speaking, people don't like others who profess to be a Christian by what they say, but demonstrate something quite different in the way they live. It doesn't go down well, does it? Maybe you've known people like that. So what does Peter say? He's saying, be good. Do good. <laughs> be goodness to other people, not just in what you say, but in the way you live. Add to your faith goodness. Be, be good to people. Encourage them. Be generous. Be kind. Be, be good to people. And to goodness, add knowledge. Peter's talking about knowledge about Jesus, knowledge of what pleases him. How do you increase in knowledge? Hey, a good starting point is to read the book. Read this book. Don't be a superficial Christian, but seek to grow in knowledge. Seek to, to your knowledge to increase. Not that you might just be puffed up in your mind and know lots of stuff, but rather your knowledge of Jesus and what pleases him increases in order that you might live for his glory and his pleasure on your life. And then to knowledge, add self-control. Self-control, Paul says, is a, is a fruit of the Spirit. So as we become more like Jesus, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work through our lives, self-control should be one of those fruits that comes to bear in our lives. 
And the self-control add perseverance. Or steadfastness, as the ESV puts it. The writer to the Hebrews says, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We need to run with perseverance. If you notice uh, an athlete, uh, a runner in a race, they're not just meandering along, are they? Whether it's a 100-metre dash, or as I used to do it at school, a 100-metre slow jog, or whether it's a, a long-distance race of two or 400 metres, as I used to find, <laughs> or whether it's something quite you know, awful of a cross-country run, <laughs> or worse. <laughs> so some of you are just jumping back to your school days now, and you, you might need healing prayer for that afterwards. Um, but if you think about a runner who is, is, is maybe in an Olympic event, they're running with perseverance, aren't they? They're not just meandering along thinking they might get to the end on a good day. There's perseverance there, particularly a long-distance runner, you know, 1,500 metres or more. There's perseverance there. They're going for it. They're committed to it. They look exhausted. You look at runners, they're running a marathon towards the end. They look pretty haggard. They look exhausted. But there's perseverance there. They see the finish line ahead. They want to get to it. They're persevering. Peter uses the same word here. Have perseverance. Be committed to finishing. James says in, in chapter 1 of his letter that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Maybe some of you know what it is to have your faith tested, really tested sometimes. James says that as you respond in that moment, in that moment of testing, as you respond to that well, that develops perseverance. So let's add perseverance to our faith. Then to perseverance, godliness. That could be translated as devotion to God. Are you devoted? I wonder if the word devotion would describe you as a Christian. Are you devoted to Jesus? Are you devoted to him? It's a word that talks of our affection, of our heart, doesn't it? Maybe you're devoted to your husband or wife or, my, or your children. Maybe others in your family. Are you devoted? That's how we should be as Christians. Sometimes we can think, are oh, we just about turning up and you know, trying to follow Jesus on a good day? I don't know. Peter says, let's be devoted in our love for him, in our affection for him. Sometimes we can see others in worship and, and they're just sort of going for it and, and they're singing to him. And we can look and think, oh, they're just a bit over the top, aren't they? Huh. No, no, they're just devoted. Let's, let's be devoted to Jesus. That affection of our heart. And then that's that godliness, that devotion to him. Add brotherly kindness or brotherly affection, as another translation puts it. That phrase uh, in English comes from translating a word that refers to relationships in the home, actually. So it's talking of a close family relationship. And for Peter to use that particular word would have, would have shocked those who heard it read to them for the first time because he's using it in a context that wouldn't normally be used. But he's saying, hey, brotherly kindness, brotherly affection to one another. Add that. We might describe it as loving one another. I wonder how we're we doing on loving one another. 
Five times in his first letter, John writes the phrase, love one another. (laughs) And, you know, that's not just a nice vision statement. We might talk about it a lot. But it's a clear biblical command. He said in the same way as do not commit murder, (laughs) do not commit adultery, love one another. It's the same sort of command to us. We need to take it seriously. So how are we doing on loving one another? I want to encourage us to, let's make sure we're doing that well to the very best of our ability as God gives us his grace. Let's be loving one another. Let's be hospitable to one another. Let's be having one another around into our homes, spending time with one another, seeking to encourage and bless and befriend one another. Why? Well, to start with, because God's word commands us. And also, it's good to do. And we all like to be encouraged and loved, don't we? Well, the best way that you can be encouraged and loved is by starting to encourage and love others. But Peter says all this heads towards love, actually. It reminded me of Paul's phrase in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these... Is love. But then he goes on in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Really? Is that, is that the case? Well, that must mean, think about it for just a moment, that must mean that it is possible, therefore, to be an ineffective and unproductive Christian. It must be, or Peter wouldn't put it, would he? So it must be possible to be an ineffective and unproductive Christian. So, so what, is an, what does an ineffective and unproductive Christian look like? Let's take a look, shall we? Now, there isn't anybody here like this, but for the sake of illustration, Dash, can you just come and join me a moment? What does an ineffective and unproductive Christian look like? Let's think about it for a moment. You okay? You'll be all right. Well, to start with, they don't go to church. Because they think, oh, it's not important. It's not necessary. It's not needed. It's out of date. I've got other things to do with my time. Time's precious. You know, I've got lots of things to do. I'm going to go shopping. I'll go to the park. I'm not going to bother with that. Or if they do go to church at all, well, they're not going to bring their Bible with them for a start. I mean, get rid of that. I mean... Don't even ever read it. And what's it about? Occasionally it might come off the shelf, but don't read that book. Do do people really read it? What else does that unproductive Christian look like? Well, they don't normally pray. Don't bother with that. Except in emergencies. I mean, we all pray in emergencies, don't we? So those, oh God, help prayers. They pray those, to be fair, but they're not praying for different situations they know of. They're not praying for others in the church because they don't often come. They they, they don't pray for friends. They're not praying for God to break into different situations or for other countries. They're only really concerned about spiritual matters, perhaps on a Sunday morning if, if they indeed do come. They're not part of a small group. They don't serve. They don't give. They're, they're not really bothered about people who are, who are far from God. We're never going to invite anybody to church. I mean, you've got some leaflet. I mean, get rid of those. I mean, unproductive Christian never going to invite anybody, are they? 
doesn't really speak to anybody about their faith, doesn't witness very much. I'm sure you could add more to the list. That's an unproductive and ineffective Christian. Thank you very much. That's not you, by the way. But thank you for helping us with that. Are you an unproductive Christian or are you a productive and committed disciple? And just just to be clear, you are that. Are you an unproductive Christian or are you a productive and committed disciple? Listen, if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're not a Christian, if you're maybe just looking in, wondering what we believe, you're maybe here with a friend, you're thinking about these things, you're exempt from this challenge. (laughs) I'm talking to those who would say they're a Christian right now. Are you an unproductive Christian or are you a productive and committed disciple? Peter makes it clear that if we don't have these qualities in our lives that he's talked about, then we're short-sighted and blind, having forgotten that we've been cleansed from our past sins. Pretty clear, isn't it? (laughs) My hope for us this morning is that all of us will be, and indeed are, and more so, productive and committed followers of Jesus. And I know many of you are. But friends, if we're honest... If you're anything like me, then if we went through the list again, then maybe you do well on some of those things. You go, hey, I'm not, I'm not that. And maybe others you think, actually, if I was honest, yeah, that's me. Maybe not all of them. Maybe one or two. You think, you know what, if I was really honest and nobody else saw my answer sheet, <laughs> then maybe you'd say, yeah, that is me. So the danger is that we can give the appearance of doing really well, but in our heart, it's not great. It's hard going, or we're struggling. We're not quite there. Listen, what Peter says to us this morning, what he says to you, is this. God's divine power is available, right here this morning, to work in you and transform you. God's divine power for his glory and and his work in your life. So how do you become a productive Christian then? Verse 10 of 2 Peter 1 says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Do you want to be a productive Christian? Yeah. Yes. Thank you for the answer there. Yes. You see, too many people meander through life, coast through their Christian life, not really having a plan and just seeing how it goes, and then before they know, it's over. Finished. Ended. Hey, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Be all the more eager. Run with perseverance. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men take hold of it. Are you forceful? Are you intentional? Are you running? Or are you just sort of meandering? To be an effective Christian, you need to be intentional about it. This is not about you becoming a Christian. That happens the moment you put your trust in Jesus. You'll know more saved 20 years later than you are at that moment. Once you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, you give your heart and life to him, then you are totally, completely, 
100% saved. You cannot be more or less saved. But sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, that's a process. That happens over time. And for that to happen in our lives, then, friends, we need to be intentional about it. It's about you being a disciple, being someone who is following Jesus. David Stroud, in the video we saw just a moment ago, talked about making disciples, not just converts. Disciple is someone who follows, who follows Jesus. And if you, if you haven't yet followed him, then his invitation is to you right now to do that, for, to enter into that relationship with him and to follow him. The conference I was at yesterday with uh, Dr. John Piper, an American pastor, and uh, he, he said this, he said, disciple is not a category of Christian. He said, if you're saved, then you're a disciple. I thought that's quite insightful because sometimes we can think, oh, well, a disciple is what you are when you're, you know, sometime down the line, <laughs> when you're doing well in your Christian life and you've got some things sorted and you become a disciple. <laughs> no, no, he's saying, listen, once you're saved, you, you should be a disciple. You should be one who follows, who is intentional about following Jesus and being a productive Christian. Peter's letter might have been written to a first century audience, but it has lots to teach us today. Now, apart from, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, that the fact that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It is. Actually, we're facing similar issues as the issues that Peter's listeners and readers faced. So the question is this, how are you going to respond are you going to be an unproductive Christian? Or are you going to be, and you want to be more so, a fruitful, productive follower, disciple of Jesus? One who has the power, his power. One who knows his promises. And one who has a plan in order to grow in these things. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray for us as we close. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace. <laughs> thank you for your peace. Thank you for revealing Jesus to us. And thank you, Lord, that in him we find everything that is needed for life and godliness. Thank you for giving us Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Lord, that it's in him <laughs> we find that everything that is needed. And Lord, we thank you for your grace upon our lives. Thank you that you give us your power. You've revealed your promises to us. And you've shown us how to have a plan that we might live effectively for you. And Jesus, that's our heart. That we might live effective, productive, fruitful lives for you. Lord Jesus, we say that's what we want to be. We want to be those sort of disciples that live fruitful, productive 
effective, grace-filled, joy-filled lives for your glory. So please help us with it. Help us, Lord, when we struggle. Help us, Lord, as we look up on our lives and go, yeah, that isn't quite right yet. Help us to allow your Holy Spirit in at that point, at that point in that moment, into that area of our lives to, to bring your presence and to bring your grace to bear in order that you might make us more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you've revealed to us in your word. We pray now that you continue to speak to us. Help us, Lord, as we live for you this week. May we grow in these things. Help us to be intentional about them. Help us to take hold of your kingdom and to see it break out in every area of our lives and in the lives of those we love and know. We pray for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.